This sports social podcast is brought to you by BetVictor, where live streams, smart stats, and in-play betting can help you make your best bet yet. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Welcome to episode four of the AR at the Bar. My name is Chris. I'm Ann. I'm Dan. Right, I feel like we're being a bit um, a bit bogus because we're called VAR at the bar, but we've actually only done one episode so far that's been at a bar. We're still drinking. Yeah, we're not any more professional than we were before. <laughs> yeah, so at least <laughs> yeah. we meet one of the two criteria. That's, that's fine. Right then, the first topic today is the top five FA Cup moments slash finals. I think we'll start, obviously, with number five. And we'll go with Dan. All right, my number five is an FA Cup final. And I've gone for the 1973 FA Cup final, where Sunderland, in the second division at the time, beat Leeds 1-0. That was a high-flying Leeds team with Don Revy as manager, Billy Bremner as captain. They won the FA Cup in the previous year, 72, and they went on to win the first division in 74. They were strong, strong favourites for the 73 final. But Sunderland... Turn them over. It was always one of the FA Cup stories that uh, I was aware of whenever I was watching the Cup games when I was a kid. I've seen all the footage quite a few times. And that's the magic of the Cup, the smaller team turning over the big boys. But yeah, Sunderland did it in the final, lifted the trophy. Right then, um, number five for you, mate. I went Arsenal versus Hull in 2014. Same here. When Hull were 2-0 up and then Cazorla scored that free kick. Because uh, Shelney equalised and then Ramsey won it in an extra time. He had a knack of that, didn't he? Yeah. Didn't he do that in the final as well? Possibly. Yeah. But I always remember this final because I was watching it in a pub packed with Arsenal fans <laughs> and Wenger went from every name under the sun at 2-0 to all of a sudden he was a god by heart by full time. That's a standard Arsenal protocol, yeah, isn't it? Much, all yeah. in 90 minutes for you. <laughs> Very fickle, very fickle. I mean, I remember that, like I say, um, that was my number five as well. And I just remembered the the poor defending for the two Hall goals. They were both from set pieces, if I'm, if I'm right, both from corners. I think they were, yeah. It's, yeah, it's quite an unbelievable game, really, but only in, in typical Arsenal fashion, they decided to switch on at the right time and scramble a winning goal in, in extra time, I think it was, after... Um, Giroud backheel. The signs were there, though, that there were cracks with Ben Benger, wasn't it? It was sort of going on for quite a while. Yeah, so you said my number five. So, Dan, number four, please, mate, for your moment slash final. I've gone for the uh, the Ryan Giggs goal against Arsenal. One of my, one of my favourite FA Cup moments. So this was when Arsenal and Man United were the two big boys in the league. Whenever they, those two teams faced off against each other, that was the big match. And this was an FA Cup final replay. It went to extra time. Uh, teams just couldn't be separated. They were so evenly matched. There was quality throughout those teams on the pitch. 
But uh, towards the end of extra time, Giggs went on a run from inside his own half, took on four defenders and blasted it into the roof of the net past Seaman. A goal that I'm sure you've both seen many times. But the bit I liked is um, the last defender who should have tackled him was Martin Keown. And he was on a booking. So he just like, sort of dangled a leg out timidly. And yeah, Giggs just went straight through the middle and blasted it in. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, and your number four, mate? Uh, my number four was uh, Liverpool Arsenal in 2001. Oh, you mean the as they class it? My Highland I mean, it wasn't a particularly great final, if I'm being honest, but like I said, it was just a final where I went through every emotion emotion possible watching it. Yeah. I um, mean, it was, um, it's my number two. So oh, obviously okay. you've got quite yeah, a I mean, what did you yeah. think about Honcho? It was a handball, wasn't it? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Awful final. Liverpool bias at work here. Can't believe that's made your top five. Well, you can call me Arsenal two. bias because I'm named to Arsenal final so far. <laughs> I tell you, it was, it was a bit of daylight robbery there, wasn't it? I think Arsenal absolutely dominated that. Um, they had, I think, two, two shots off the line. I've got here from Will Tord and um, Lienberg before he then took the lead. And then um, from a, the winning goal was a long ball from Patrick Berger in between yeah. um, Adams and Dixon. Unfortunately, they weren't the quickest. And against uh, Mr. Owen... Pacey individual that he was back then. Didn't really stand a chance, did they? Two very good finishes. My, my number four is the 1984 FA Cup final. This was also the uh, 100-year one. First ever Wembley replay as well. The first one was a one-all draw between Spurs and Man City. And basically, this game had everything. Spurs had uh, not very well-known names like Glenn Hoddle, Ozzy Ardiles, Ricky Villa. <laughs> but yeah, this was basically known for the winning goal, which was scored by Ricky Villa, which was also voted the best goal of the, the century, where he managed to dribble around four players before placing it in. But it basically had everything. It sort of five goals, five goal thriller, had a penalty. Also, I think the Spurs keeper handballed it as well, but was only given a yellow card, which could have changed the match. That was at one all. Hoddle hit the post as well from a free kick. Um, yeah, and just, just everything. Um, also, a fan ran onto the pitch after uh, Ozzy Ardila's got in a bit of a scuffle with one of Man City's players. But by and all, it good day for uh, Spurs that day. Ended up in, a, obviously, a 3-2 win and cup final win. What about yours there, Dan? Number three? All right, number three, I've gone for the 1988 Cup final between Liverpool and Wimbledon. I mean, just oh, the first-minute clattering that. Who was it? Was it Vinnie Jones on McMahon? Of course it was Vinnie Jones on Steve McMahon, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Vinnie Jones tells it slightly differently to what actually happened. Vinnie Jones is like, oh, I clattered him, he couldn't get up for five minutes. But then when you actually watch it, he clatters him and McMahon gets up straight away and runs off. Yeah, it runs off and elbows him in the ribs. <laughs> No, that was, I love that final because it was um, the Minnows versus the uh, the Golden Boys of the Golden Era. Liverpool had only lost two games in the league that season. They'd absolutely steamrolled through everybody like they normally did in that time. And Wimbledon were very unfancied. They finished seventh in the league, which was considered a massive overachievement. But they, they kept Liverpool out, mainly due to a penalty save from Dave Besson. First ever FA Cup final penalty save, that was. Good start. It was probably the biggest cup, cup upset that... 
there's ever been in terms of the final. But in terms of the actual final itself, I actually thought it was quite dull. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. I, I think Man City Wigan might be pushing pushing that with that because I mean no one put any money on Wigan to beat Man City in what was it 2013? I didn't feel at the time it was as much of a shock because. I don't think City weren't... We're not talking about the City of now. We're talking about City when they were just becoming the powerhouse that they are now. Yeah, you're right. So that's why I didn't think it was as much of a shock as Wimbledon and Liverpool. Your number three then, Alan? Uh, my number three final was Coventry versus Spurs in 1987. Yeah, no Arsenal this time, Dan. I hate this point now. Yeah. <laughs> or Liverpool. Can't believe it. Um, Clive Allen scored in the second minute and then Coventry levelled it in the eighth. Uh, Mabbott, Mabbott then put the Spurs in, in, in the lead. Coventry then levelled it again. And then an extra time, uh, a ball deflected off Mabbott to give Coventry the win. Right then. My one, 1989. The Merseyside derby final. That Liverpool ended up winning 3-2. John Aldridge... Um, scored, which obviously took away the ghost of 1988, his penalty miss. Then um, Stuart McCall equalised for Everton in the last minute of normal time. Rush put them 2-1 up, Liverpool that is, and then again was pulled back to 2 all by McCall with a first-time volley. Um, then a winner by Rush after Barnes's cross. And obviously it was quite Defining because it was after Hillsborough um, disaster as well. Yeah, yeah. And quite an emotional final, emotionally charged final as well, um, especially for, for the Liverpool fans. And that's why I, I put that as uh, my third one. Um, obviously, you've got a, a five-goal thriller. Yeah, it was a great final. I remember watching it live, actually. It was a great final. I think McCall came off the bench and got two. Yeah. Got, it was a big, big swing round in momentum. And when when he got that equaliser, you felt like Everton were going to win it, and that was that was as underdogs as well at the time. It was a great final that was. They just both went went at it, and that's how it should have been, really. Anyway, uh, your second moment slash final there, Dan. Right, I've gone for West Ham versus Steven Gerrard. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's my number one. To be that honest, that's my number one as well. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't even planned on talking about this one. I'm just going to hand over to you guys, Liverpool fans. Well, that own goal to start off things, eh? Uh-huh. <laughs> Carragher. And then um, fumble by Reina I got here. Ashton scores a rebound. Yeah. Yeah. So, now, as Liverpool did a lot in those days, just give, give teams a head start. Diagonal pass by Gerard to Cissé's sort of volley. 2-1. Yep. Then I got here. Crouchy knockdown for Gerard to hit into the top corner. Like Dan said. And then, what do you reckon to Koncheski then? Cross or goal? It was a cross. All day long. <laughs> it was a cross. Yeah. The, one of his best crosses. <laughs> and then, obviously, the, that goal. I'll let you speak about that goal. And being an attacking player yourself. Just unbelievable. Uh, unbelievable strike. Apparently he had cramp at the time and that's all he could do. And hit it that he hard. You just can't hit a football any better than that. It was incredible. No. But... Who feels sorry for Harewood then uh, in extra time but couldn't quite connect onto an open goal and skied it. Could have been totally different for him. You know, and then obviously Rayner comes in with Penos, doesn't he? Saves three? I think it was three. 
Those two. Yeah. All right then. What about you then, Ant? What's your number? Number two. Yeah, my number two is Bolton versus Blackpool, 1953. It's a game I had on VHS, so I've seen it a couple of times over the years. And it's the Stanley Matthews final. Yeah. Um, obviously, Blackpool were three-one down, and then um, Mortensen scored a hat trick that day, including one one which was oh no, sorry, Bill Perry scored the very late winner thanks to Matthews cross. It's remarkable they called it the Matthews final because he didn't actually score a goal. It just shows how good he was doing everything else that day, like assisting and taking on people. And if if you haven't watched it, watch it because it, it's football at its finest. No, it sounds great, mate. It sounds great. Um, you've gone over my number two, which was uh, Owen's final. So, um, Dan, your number one, please, there. All right, so my number one, it's, it's not actually a final, it's a semi-final. Okay. So I'll bend the rules a little bit. So the, the semi-final I've gone for is uh, Chesterfield versus Middlesbrough. <laughs> oh, yes. That was so, considered funny for the moment. Yeah. What, a fi- what a semi-final that was. That was the goal that should have counted again. And it was, I remember watching it like a, like I watched it the first time. Like it felt like yesterday. <laughs> they had a real chance of winning this because uh, Vladimir Kinder got himself sent off after 37 minutes. He's already on a booking, and he pulls someone back in front of the ref. <laughs> it's just ludicrous. So he got himself sent off, and then third tier Chesterfield. They uh, they actually went two 0 up. They had that um, the shot that it hit the bar and then bounced down. And it was over the goal line, but it wasn't given. Uh, that would have made it 3-1 to Chesterfield. Uh, David Ellery, who was the referee that day, he's seen the replay and he's apologised to them since because it went over the line. <laughs> it's only their goal line technology. Then they would have had that 3-1 cushion. Not only that, but um, Middlesbrough's equaliser to make it 2-2 was a penalty after Sean Dyche barged Janino over. <laughs> Which is, uh, it was every bit as brutal. (laughs) But um, if you look at the replay of that one, it could well have been outside the box. So if only they had the technology we've got now, we could have had Chesterfield in an FA Cup final. Rolled over in the um, replay, didn't they? I seem to remember. Yeah, it went to a replay after. It was um, a 119th minute equaliser for Chesterfield, made it 3-3. And then in the replay, Middlesbrough stuffed them 3-0. Really does feel like yesterday to me that game. Yeah. Yeah. What about you then, Anne? Oh, your number one moment was the same as mine, wasn't yeah. it? The the West Ham um, Liverpool game. Any other moments that you wish to to give us? Yeah. I mean, who can forget the Spice Boys white suits? <laughs> it was on yeah. my initial list, but I took it off. Come that that is, that was just unbelievable, wasn't it? It's just a shame, obviously, the final didn't end up being as sparkling as those suits were. <laughs> I think if we'd won, no one would probably remember those suits, but uh, we lost and turned up all cocky. Oh, just absolutely abysmal, wasn't it? <laughs> so I'm sorry I, to uh, say, another moment I had was um, to do with Leicester, actually, when they lost to Wickham at home. Roy Essindo scored a late winner in 2001. Oh, the CFAX guy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's yeah. coming back to me now. That's it. Yeah. yeah. 
they, they literally loaned him for that sort of that game. <laughs> he scored the winning goal. Unbelievable scenes. But you wouldn't get that in any other cup, cup though, would you? Come on, someone answering a CPAPs thing and then scoring the winner against Premier League Leicester at the time. Unbelievable. And then I've got another one with um, Xavi Alonso's um, five, in the 5-3 win against Luton. I remember this because I watched this on ITV when ITV had the FA Cup. And that was just a mad game. We were like 2-0 down. And then he scored, I think, at the end from the halfway line. Yeah, I remember <laughs> Gerard screaming at him to pass it. And then he boofed it and Gerard was kind of mid-scream and it's all turned into a clap. It's like, oh, okay, fair enough. I'll let you <laughs> <Yeah>. off. <laughs> I had, um, probably not a very memorable moment, but it was literally the first thing that I put down when we talked about FA Cup moments. West Ham versus Man United 2001, the Canio gets played through and Bartes thinks he's offside. So Bartes decides to stand there with his, with his arm up like he's flagging a taxi and the Canio just slots it home. And I just thought to myself, you're a professional goalkeeper. The first thing you do, you play to the whistle. Don't you stand there looking like an idiot. <laughs> Bartes made up his own rules though, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know why that's so memorable to me, but it, it, it just is. I also had Bradford versus Chelsea in 2015. Yeah, they were 2-0 down after 38 minutes and managed to win 4-2 at Chelsea, which is possibly, I think, the first time that Mourinho's conceded four at Chelsea, maybe. Um, If I remember rightly, was that the same day that sort of like Man Man City? Yeah, I was going to say it was such a weird day, like I think... Yeah. Man United drew with Cambridge and City lost at home to Borough. It was just the weirdest game. And I remember checking the scores at half-time and everything seemed quite normal. And then I walked back to the day in the evening and I was thinking, Christ, what, what have I been drinking today? <laughs> the only other one I had was Trevor Sinclair versus Barnsley, the overhead kick. In 97. Yeah. That is one of the best goals I've ever seen. I remember watching that on telly live. It was just a phenomenal goal. Another one that I thought of instantly when we looked at this was a uh, semi-final between Arsenal and Spurs and that Gascoigne free kick. Mm. Incredible. 91. Yeah, that's right, 1991. Uh, that free kick was from, I think it was about 25 yards out. Yeah. And he absolutely smashed it. If you watch the replay, it looks like the ball's gathering speed and it just tears into the top corner. Seaman had no chance. Well, we've all seemed to have forgotten one moment that's possibly the, one of the greatest moments in FA Cup final history. And that is when Palace take the lead against Man United through Jason Punchin and Paidu does that dance. <laughs> <laughs> that sort of salsa slash calypso. As funny as it was, I just couldn't bring myself <laughs> to put it in because I knew we'd mention it anyway. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, that was just brilliant, brilliant, wasn't it? I don't know whether he thought he got the, the minutes mixed up, whether he thought it was the, the full-time whistle or something. <laughs> I mean, obviously that gift now is, is around forever and ever. <laughs> <laughs> but no, definitely some, um, I think we captured nearly every moment and I think great final between the three of us. So, I think out of the moment, I think the Liverpool 2006 one is our top one. No bias three, obviously. Invented there. No, that's fair enough. Great um, time. 
But no, I mean, well done, lads, for some great research there, especially and looking into the downs of uh, Stanley Matthews. Very impressive. Hey, don't knock him, he was a hero. Hey, Sir Stanley. Okay, the next list that we've got of our top 10 Premier League managers. <clears throat> Are we just going to start with number one? Because I would assume that we would all have the same number one. We'll be traditional. We'll start at 10. Okay, Chris, do you want to get us rolling? Yeah, I've gone with King Kenny Dalglish. Yeah. As Blackburn manager, obviously he won the title. Yeah. He had quite a lot of money at that time. Um, to win it, but obviously you have to be in the in it to win it. Set out, you know, the appropriate formation. Obviously with Sutton and Shearer up front at that time, it, it clicked into it. And it, you know his ethos was always quite attacking play. A win ratio of forty eight point three percent. So I think that's pretty good, really, to be honest. I think when you consider he got Blackburn into the Premiership as well. To then get them to win the title. I know, obviously, like we touched on, he had money, he bought Shearer and Sutton and Sherwood and whatever else. Um, but when it comes to winning titles, Dalglish knows how to do it, doesn't he? You know, he's done it a hundred times with Liverpool. Shearer, Sutton, Sherwood, Ripley, Wilcox, those, those weren't the best players about. No. The best players on the market. He, he constructed a title-winning team. That's down to the manager. And I think, I think with Dalglish, when he came back as Liverpool manager, as caretaker manager in um, 2011, you know, everyone thought he was going to fail miserably. And he picked that Liverpool team up from a relegation spot. And I think they finished seventh that season. Wow. Not great for Liverpool, but considering where they were when he took over. And then the following season, he obviously won the Carling Cup, which was actually the only cup he'd never won as Liverpool. And those signings of Suarez and Henderson always seem to be forgotten nowadays yeah. under the Klopp era. And that was something that he did in his small time that he had there. All right then, and what have you got for number 10, mate? I've gone for Harry Redknapp. Okay. The, the amount of young players he brought through as a manager, your Lampard, your Defoe's, your Ferdinand's, Joe Cole... They've all gone Gareth Bale. On, Gareth Bale. They've all gone on to be fantastic players. That's one of the reasons. And the other reason is um, how well he did at Spurs. I thought he did a great job at Spurs. And I thought he was actually unlucky to lose his job. I think a lot of people said that, didn't they? It was an odd one, wasn't it? Because at that time, wasn't he having a look at the England job as well? Yeah. And obviously, they had that potential scandal. Wasn't he Portsmouth manager as well when they got to the FA Cup final? Yeah, he also won the FA Cup with Portsmouth, of course. Yeah. I just think I know he's got a bit of a reputation as a, yeah. as 
as a wheeler dealer, but I think on his day, he did a great job at West Ham, he did a great job at Portsmouth, great job at Spurs, and all these players he's bought through. I mean, personally, what I think what he did with Bale, I mean, you know, switching him from left back, then he said, right, then we're going to put this lad away, from, push him up, up the pitch as a winger, and then look at him now. Just obviously his man management, I think, with certain players has been phenomenal. And yeah, he, he, you know, he probably has followed the money a bit later on in life with QPR and Birmingham, but, you know, he's had a good career up to that point. Yeah, he's a good Premier League manager, no doubt about it. I'm going to miss his uh, interviews. No, but you just always knew it was deadline day because like this Land Rover would rock up and the window would come down. Oh, terrific player, terrific player, and he'd drive off again. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. Who have you gone right. for, Dan? Number 10, I've gone for Brendan Rodgers. So uh, I'm looking at clubs he's been at in the Premier League, Swansea, Liverpool, Leicester City. And there's a common theme where he's developed players, he's defined a playing style, and he's got the team playing good quality football. He's basically got Leicester into the top four when no one really thought it was possible. Thought they'd have a good season, but he's really helped that team to develop and taken them to the next level. And then, of course, his time at Liverpool, where he led them to a title challenge. And he, he almost got them over the line, which would have been incredible. So for me, he's, he's a top, top manager. He deserves a little bit more credit than I think he gets. I'm a huge fan of Rodgers. Um, he didn't quite make the top 10. But yeah, when, when he first came to Liverpool, I was a bit like, oh, who's this fair? Why have we, why have we got to sign Swansea manager? But the way he came across and the way that he got straight into what Liverpool was about, I thought, yeah, OK, this, this guy knows what he's doing. And as the season progressed, I could see signs that Liverpool were getting a bit better and I didn't expect the following season to be the title challenge. And he's done a fantastic job at Leicester. I mean, from what I know from certain people, you know, at Leicester, he, he sort of acknowledges everyone from the tea lady all the way up to the chairman. Yeah, he's good at building a sort of an aura around a club, isn't he? He gets everyone involved and everyone believing. That's it. Great manager. I think, I think, you've got, I think um, Leicester have got quite big things with him. To be honest, I think they can really close the gap in the next coming seasons. Number nine, Chris. Right, yeah. I'm going for Carlo Ancelotti. I'll put him quite low. I know he's won the season with Chelsea. I'm in my top ten. <laughs> well, okay, fair enough. I was doing an iron with this one, mate. I'll be honest, both of you. Um, he's he's had a, sort of 87 games, I think, as manager in the Premier League. And we're going for all time. You know, you have to have that longevity a little bit with it. So I can understand why people might not have picked him. But for someone to actually win the title with a club is pretty mega, as you'll see with my other picks. Um, and with, with Chelsea, he's proved it in, in, other, in the Italian, in Serie A as well, how good a manager he is. Um, he's got a win ratio, even with, now he's at Everton at 60, just under 61%. I think as a whole, he seems like a pretty grounded manager. He's got that experience. And I think he will push Everton further up, the, up to top six, top five. And I think what he did with Chelsea was really good, to be honest. No, he's obviously a, a very high-caliber manager. He, like you say, he's not spent much time in England, which is why I've, I've not included him in my list. I think what's going to be telling, though, is you know, how he does at Everton. I think there's a, 
a big problem at Everton where they've not got any leaders on the pitch. It's, it's certainly not an Ancelotti defence there. So I yeah. expect some activity. See who he, bring, who he brings in. He's a massive, massive kick for Everton. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that he's really given himself a challenge there. He could have easily have just swung off to China probably and earned two million pound a year just just you know managing that. But he actually has gone for a challenge and it'd be very interesting to see how he gets on. Yeah. All right, fair shout, Chris. My number nine is Rafa Benitez. I don't need to talk about what he did at Liverpool. He came in and won the European Cup in his first season. And much like Ancelotti, Chris just mentioned that he's a manager that he wasn't afraid to go to Newcastle. Not only that, he wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid to even manage them in the championship to get them back up, which a lot of managers would have gone. No, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm off. See you later. Yeah, I'll put him as my number six. Okay, no, that's fair enough. Yep, and I've got him at number six as well. Perhaps I've done him a disservice. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean to be honest, I mean. I totally agree with you, Ant. I mean, what what he's done at Newcastle has been absolutely phenomenal. I mean, I know they were given a bit of money um, when the first went down to the Championship, but then he he kept with them then took them to the Premier League and then I think for two seasons running, they came 10th before he left. Yeah, they came 10th, but that was not a good team. They were very well managed and well coached, but they should not have been finishing 10th. They should have been in the bottom four. Well, one of the worst Liverpool teams in terms of certain positions that I've seen, and they won the Champions League. I mean, Jimmy Traore has the Champions League winners medal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, but he's absolutely loved at, at Newcastle, and that's why I put him up to six because he sort of pro- proved himself that he would take possibly a step back to to give himself a real challenge, and I think he took them as far as he could. Really, and he had to play a formation that was probably totally against the grain that he normally would have played, but just seemed to get grind out the results. He 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 may well be back as Newcastle manager. Never know. I can see it happen. His, his family lives in England still, doesn't it? He's going to return to this country and manage somewhere. But yeah, great manager. As for my number nine, I've gone for a less popular choice here, so I'd be interested to get your reactions to this one. I've gone for Alan Kirbishley. Okay. For his Charlton exploits. Yeah, so it was. He got he got Charlton into the Premier League. They managed to maintain Premier League status for six seasons, establishing Charlton as a mid-table team in the Premier League for six seasons. He then uh, left the club while they were in that uh, settled position, and they they promptly got relegated without him at the helm. He returned to football as the West Ham manager when they were in the bottom three. And he went on a run late in the season and managed to secure survival for them. And the following season, he managed to guide them to a uh, top-half finish. The following season, he then he left the club after a dispute over transfers with the owner. He wasn't in control of transfers. So Is that Icelandic, dude? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. So he's not actually been sacked in the Premier League. He's only been successful. Very interesting there, Dan. I mean, I remember when, when Charlton used to, were, were up in the Premier League, very tough team to to um, play against. They had a very good team uh, team ethic. They didn't have any marquee signings. 
uh, that I can recall. They were just a good team. They were well coached and uh, they were set up well. No, that's a good one there, Dan. I um, you've um, you've put in a good argument there. I'll give you that. He's um, yeah. definitely one that goes under the radar a little bit. So you putting Eddie Howe and Tony Pulis in your top ten as well? I'm afraid not. No. <laughs> they number one and two in your list, Dan. No, they're not. They're not in my list. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number eight, Chris. Number eight. This one's a bit of a wild card. I'll be I'll be honest with you, lads. So. Martin O'Neill, two League Cups with Leicester. He actually managed 433 league, league games at Leicester, Villa, and then finishing off with a, a bit of time at Sunderland. I remember growing up and seeing Leicester and the way that he galvanised the team to just grind out results. I think they might have come seventh one season, was it, Dan? Seventh or eighth, yeah. Villa, Villa. I remember him doing that at Villa. Yeah, yeah. He came. They, they were actually under his first full year of tenure there. I think they were actually battling. At, I think they were about ten games unbeaten. I looked into it, and then they had a bit of a slip near the end and came about seventh. But he always managed to keep sort of the middle end teams in the top ten, and he had that. He had, he sort of got that dynamic working well with sort of tip players you wouldn't think would be very stylish, you know, your Robbie Savages and to an extent, you know, Petrov and he met he brought through younger players as well, like Ashley Young. But yeah, that's why I'll put him at, at number eight. He's won a couple of cups as well. He's like I think an eight thirty eight percent win rate as well. That's a good shout. Good shout. All right, and to number eight. Oh back to me again. Um I I Dalg Leash at number eight and we already touched on him. Fair enough. Uh, my number eight, I've gone for Pochettino. Oh, okay. Didn't make my top ten. Didn't make mine. So. Good shout. Good shout. I think uh, some people probably forget that the the success he had at Southampton, yeah. Yeah. where he took a very average team to be in, in the, I think they are in top four for a lot of the season, just uh, fell away at the end. But they had a very successful season under Pochettino, and then he uh, he moved on to Spurs. He coached that Spurs team so well. They they looked like one of the best teams in Europe. And at one stage, they should have won a Premier League. They were picked to it by Leicester in the end. Yeah. But he's he's taken that Tottenham team so far. And again, like I say, it's down to the coaching. They didn't buy success. It's down to the manager. I think he's an excellent coach. and That's why I put him on my list. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Very high, highly regarded, I think, within the the managing fraternity. Um, his record speaks volumes. I, I still think to this day that Spurs were slightly rash with their dealing with him um, at the end of his tenure. Um, I, I don't think it was... Obviously, it takes two to tango, but I ultimately don't think it was all him. I did, However, I did feel that after his Champions League loss against Liverpool, that he lost that little bit of bite that he had before. I think that was a real kick. Team just needed a bit of a, a reshuffle. Yeah, faces yeah, in. Need freshening it up. Whether it was down to him or Levy or whatever, I think it just, it just needed some new faces. And obviously, you had Christian Eriksen. Obviously, looked like he didn't want to play there anymore. Yeah, for me, it's down to transfers. It's down to yeah. transfers. They need to freshen it up, like you say. They needed to sell a couple of players and buy a couple of players. And I think I think, I think the biggest one, the biggest shock to me, which I've mentioned before. 
um, was the loss of Kieran Trippier for him. And the way he Trippier went out in the media as well and said that there was a small there was an issue there when he was at Athletic, you know, after he moved, that it sort of set a bad taste going on. And then obviously we had the whole um, Ericsson and Vertonghen or whatever issue there was there. What the media said, there was some sort of disagreement that they had over one thing or another. And then the people were on bad form as well, weren't they? Deli Alley wasn't on great form. It's getting heavily criticised. Keane Kane was then injured. And it just all seemed to just happen at the wrong time for him. And he had, obviously didn't spend any money for a year, did he? Or was it longer than a year? Well, that's, that's what doesn't make sense to me. He didn't spend any money. They didn't make those transfers. They had all these unsettled players with uh, contracts running down. For me, that all of that lies with the owner of the club. It's not the manager's fault. He did the same with Redknapp. Redknapp got them into the top four and had a great season. And the following season, it was almost like, well, I'm not going to give you anything. Just get on with it. And then they sacked him. Yeah. They brought in Tim Sherwood. Yeah. <laughs> you know how that turned out. I think that was a bit more with performances, but yeah. Pochettino's next job will be a big job. Yeah. You can in Newcastle then, like the papers are suggesting. Well, it depends how big the project is. Yeah. Possible. See, I could, I could see. I mean, if he wasn't had, if he doesn't have so many connections to Espanyol, I could see him fitting nicely into the Barcelona team as a manager. However, I don't think he would join them. We'll see on that. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Hard to turn Barcelona down, isn't it? Either that, or he's holding up for Man United. Right then, is it me then for number, number seven? seven? Jurgen Klopp. Ooh, that's a bit low. Look, I mean, we're going on all time, so you've got to sort of, in a way, the yeah. way I've done it is... I'm, I'm just winding you up, mate. I've wiped off all the other things, what he's done. And on those games, I mean, he's got a fantastic percentage win ratio, 65.3%. And obviously, he's been beaten at Anfield for two years in the league, is it? It's either two or three. I can't remember off the top of my head. That's a long time. Which is a great record. He's, he's my number fourth. <laughs> How is he? Yeah. I've got him at number five. Fair enough. But yeah, he's a, he's a top manager. I, I love what he's done with Liverpool. He's, he's turned them into such a powerhouse. That's, yeah. The way they play, they're an absolute machine, aren't they? They've got that high-pressing game. And that's all because Klopp's brought that to the team. Great man. And like you say, they're just a juggernaut, aren't they? 90, 90 minutes of absolute full throttle, non-stop, yeah. sort of chasing the ball if you don't have it. If you do, distribute, pass forward. And look at this season. Liverpool have lost one game. Incredible achievement. Right then, you're number seven, mate. I've, I've, I've gone for Ranieri. He's my number four. Firstly, the title Leicester. Dan's grinning <laughs> like a Cheshire cat. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, this is this is a guy that was known as the Tinker Man for however long. And he, he came into Leicester and he just kept it simple. And for Leicester to win the title from where they were in the previous season, it's one of the greatest sporting achievements. There's no doubt about it. Uh, the reason why he's perhaps lower than some people's lists is, is probably he hasn't really done much since. 
or before, really, in the in the Premiership. I know he did a right at Chelsea, um, but he had one great season at Leicester, and what a season that was! But he, he just didn't really progress Leicester after that. I know they lost players. No, I mean, I, I, to an extent, I totally sort of agree with that. Finished second with Chelsea, though, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. perhaps was a bit unfairly treated at Chelsea, but. Again, it came down to that thinking man reputation. No one knew if they were playing, they weren't playing, what formation they were in. Fans didn't know, he didn't know. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, he kept it simple, didn't he? He, um, he made one change. He changed the formation at the start of the season to a 4-4-2. And he brought Kante. Yeah, and integrated Kante into the team. And then he just didn't change it. That was the team. They started off the season struggling to keep clean sheets. I remember... Um, he was saying he would take them out for pizza or hot dogs or something yeah. when they did keep clean sheet. In his own jovial way, he was trying to bring the focus on that. He was trying to bring unity to the team. And look how that paid off. Leicester became so hard to score against and they had such team spirit. It's down to the manager in part. He with the media yeah, really well that season as well. He didn't go all out Kevin Keegan or Rafa Benitez on them. Right. Kept it cool. <laughs> typical, typical Ranieri, really. Dan, as a Leicester fan, do you feel that maybe Nigel Pearson can be credited for some of that title win? Even though um, Nigel Pearson kind of got the ball rolling at the end of the previous season and got them on quite a good winning streak, get them out of relegation. Yeah, there was certainly some belief that carried over after that uh, run to secure survival the previous season, the great escape. We were scoring goals as well. But I remember that the start of the next season, it was very much a sense of we need to play our best just to survive. And it was that survival mentality which led to the performances. And then somehow that carried on every single week where the players gave everything. So I think I think that mentality in part is down to Pearson. Uh, so yeah, I didn't say, but Ranieri is, is number seven on my list. Okay. Number six, Chris, please. Uh, Rafa for me yep I've got Rafa as well so um, so Ant have you got who have you got six um, yes yeah, <laughs> it's my most controversial one yeah um, I've got Gerard Houllier oh get out of there <laughs> I think he is an absolutely underrated manager in the Premiership he came into this game and um, he sort of he sort of transformed Liverpool in the way that this other Frenchman that I won't mention, spoiler alert, um, <laughs> transformed another team. And he, he brought in a load of unknowns, no one really heard of. Sammy Hippier, um, Henshaws wasn't that well known. That 2000-2001 season, to win three knockout competitions and finish fourth in the Premiership, I don't think he gets much credit. I think he completely changed Liverpool. I think Liverpool were on a downward spiral. And for me, that's why I put him at six. He might he might not have won us the title. And I think he only got as close to the title once. But I think he, he turned Liverpool around. I think if it hadn't been for him, I, I, perhaps the Rafa era wouldn't have happened. The Klopp era wouldn't have happened. I think he started something at Liverpool. I'll just put my Liverpool bias out there. <laughs> uh, you made a good case, though, and oh, He's a good manager. He was, yeah. Right, so I've got, uh, I've got Rafa Benitez as number six, who we've talked about. I've got Klopp at number five, who we've talked about. Uh, Chris, who is your number five? Pep Guardiola. 
Okay. To be honest, it's exactly the same reason as Klopp. I know he's won two leagues with Man City. Again, though, you've got to look at what Man City were under Pellegrino. E. E. Pellegrino. Pellegrino was Southampton, wasn't it? They had a very strong team. I mean, there's no doubt that he has a philosophy with each one of his um, teams where his man management is second to none. However, he hasn't done like what I was saying earlier with your Ranieri's or your Rafa's where he's taken the job where they're, you know, a team where they're not expected to do well. He's now obviously gone to Man City and he, he has cranked it up a, a notch. There's no doubt about his man management. But I do think we've, we've still got a bit more to see of him before I can think of him going above the next three. I... <laughs> I'll yeah. put him at number three. I will say slightly reluctantly. For me, he, he's he's always walked into a team with money. Yeah. Your Bayerns, your Barca's, Man City's, and I, I would until he goes to someone say like I don't know Everton or Newcastle or maybe AC Milan currently. You know, then we see just how good you know that he really is that he can work on a on kind of a budget. But he's he's been blessed with the teams he's managed. In terms of coaching and his management, I can't, I can't knock it. Yeah, I've, I've obviously put him higher on my list. He's number four on my list. Uh, absolutely superb manager. But look at the the way that Man City played before Pep arrived. And compare that to the way they play now. It's a massive transformation that Pep's brought about at that club. Uh, some of the players he's brought in, um, very, very good players, but they're not. Um, you know, you can't say that they bought the Premier League title the likes of Gundogan, Rodri, they're, they're not marquee signings. They're players that Pep's bought, brought in because he sees something in them and that he's integrated them into his team and he's coached them. It's all about Pep. He, he's, he's the architect of what football they produce at Man City now. He's a superb coach. He'd be higher up my list if he, uh, if he managed at Man City for another 10 years, I'm sure. But um, as we're about to touch on, there's managers that have been here longer and achieved more. But Pep is a top, top coach. That, that's the only reason I didn't put him any higher personally is, you know, the guy's won two, two championships. You know, <laughs> that's, that's a hell of a thing to do. But to find like, himself 22 points behind Liverpool this season, I mean, that, yeah. that, that is worrying. How can you go from team to win two championships? And... All we've lost is a centre back. That's where he's made an error, though. And that's that's the thing. It's oh, been a massive throw into error. Possibly, but that is to suddenly go from winning two titles to being twenty-five points behind your rivals. You can get sacked for that in some teams. What's your number five, Anne? Uh Mourinho. Oh, okay. The only oh. reason. Uh, the only reason is, like, he came in and he was cocky and he was great. Well, he wasn't great from a rival point of view but he, he was just f- fresh of blood to the premiership and um, the last couple of years I think he's lost it I think he's perhaps a little bit out of touch I sort of understand that to an extent mate I was thinking that yeah. um, however <laughs> as badly as he performed at Man United they still came second in his season in charge and and that's the thing I mean I think he's he's whether it's whether he's lost a bit of interest in it now that he's done everything, then that could be the case. But 
I've put him at number two personally, um, uh, just because he's gone to a club at Chelsea. They conceded what like eighteen goals in a season, which is just absolutely unbelievable. He's then left the club. He's then gone back to it like ten years later, and then he's won it again. And I mean, he, and then after that, like you said, there has been a slide, and you have I have seen a slide on him since he's joined Spurs as well. He just doesn't seem... He's trying to put on a face on things, isn't he? That he's trying to be sort of not grumpy anymore, but you can see that it's just a bit of a persona. It's his cockiness. He's kind of become Mr Grumpy now. He's like the grumpy one. Yeah. And I, I think he's, he's walked into Tottenham thinking, you know, they've got a great team. I can win the league in about two years. And I think he's probably walked in and gone, no, this is a team that needs rebuilding now. And I'm probably not going to get any money for it, so I'm going to be grumpy about it. That's a disaster waiting to happen at Tottenham. It really is. I I don't know why that marriage has happened. It's not the right man for that job. No, with that at all. But no, I totally agree with your sentiments, and it ended so badly for him at Chelsea the last time, and at Man United, where he he, he lost the dressing room, which is uh, the cardinal sin of a manager, really. So uh, I I understand where you're coming from in dropping him down your list. The only thing I'm going to say is, uh, I mean, I totally agree with everything you've said, but as the counter-argument, he's won three Premier Leagues, four Football League Cups, and he's won a Europa League as well, or while he was a Premier League manager. So you can't, you can't discredit his achievements. Has he won three Premier Leagues? He doesn't mention that very often in his press conferences. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so five, I had Klopp, and four, I had Guardiola. Okay. I've had number four for me is Claudio Ranieri. We spoke about him. Yeah, I have a Oh, the big three now. Okay. I've gone, Chris. Number three. Okay. I've gone with Mr. Wenger. Fantastic when he first came in. Breath of fresh air. Players that came in, you know, the Invincibles era. You know, your Burkamps, your Henri's, Perez. You know, Liam Bergs and, and Co. Um, I think he was at Arsenal about three or four years too long. He, he, he ended up being ingrained into Arsenal. And it, those last years, I think, were quite painful to be a fan of them. And it was quite sad to see somebody who was so good at one time going to Old Trafford and losing 8-2 to think, oh, we can wing this and get something, and then absolutely getting played out of the park. But as a whole, the invincible season has put him up there, and obviously his other wins that he's had as Arsenal manager with the other two titles as well. I mean, he has to be in the top three. I think I, yeah. I, I agree with you, um, the later years. I think he, he outstayed his welcome massively. Um, I think he was just clinging on to the one last hurrah in the Champions League or something. Yeah. But I think in terms of a manager, a foreign manager, and he was the first real proper foreign manager that came over, he completely changed the way, he completely changed the English game, really. He completely transformed Arsenal. The way Arsenal played in in the late 90s was one of the best teams I've seen growing up. They're, they're such a good passing team. They have technical ability and they'll, they'll pass their way through all the way into the penalty box of the opposition. That, that's what you think of when you think of Arsenal. And that's because Wenger installed that playing style. Who was your number three then, Ant? 
Pep. Dan? I went for Arsenal Wenger at number three. And I went for Mourinho <laughs> at number two. Who have we got number two on yours, Chris? Uh, same. Jose. And? Wenger. <laughs> so number one. I think, are we all unilateral on this? Well, Roy Hodgson? <laughs> I thought it was the only one. No, yeah. Number one has to be Alex Ferguson. Yeah. 810 games. Win ratio of that was 65%. He only lost 114 games. And with the t- seriously, with that team that he had, was it 12-13? And they ended up strolling with the league. Yeah. That wasn't it's just unbelievable. That was, that was the... The good thing about Fergie, he, he built, what, three teams in his tenure at United? He obviously had his class in 92. They moved on and then he had yeah, um, Berbatovs and yeah, Van Nistelrooy's after that. And then he had the Ronaldo team after that. He just kept building new teams. They just kept winning leagues. And the, th- the thing is with him as well, is when, you know, when things were getting a little tough, when he was getting into a war with a manager... It was all about the mind games, wasn't it? He then got things that were suggestive, that got personal, and he just sort of just pushed at that pressure point, like he did with Rafa and with what he did with Kevin Keegan. Yeah, Wenger, Wenger never fell for that, though. No, no. But he was, but more, he was less sort of aggressive, wasn't he? Mm. He just sort of was very passive with it. But he knew where to hit Keegan, especially with that Stuart Pearce comment. It's going to let let you be a forest. And then that's what got him, wasn't it? You could see he was the pent-up anger that he had. As soon as he lost that, then you knew Fergie was going to win that. Yeah, incredible manager. Incredible achievements. Probably never going to be matched. I well, like with Fergie and Wenger, managers don't stick around as long as they did anymore. I can't see anyone ever matching Ferguson in the Premiership for longevity, or Wenger for that matter. No. I think most most managers probably have an average of about five years nowadays. I don't think another manager's going to win 13 Premiership titles. No. I think the game's changed too much for that. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad we all agreed on a number one choice. <laughs> um, anyone else who wanted to give honourable mentions to? Um, yeah, the only one I considered, and the only reason why I didn't put him in the top ten was Bobby Robson, um, purely because in terms of his Premiership career he didn't really do much outside of that I think he's a, he was a fantastic manager I don't want to say too much about them but three managers who won the Premier League which is no mean feat uh, Antonio Conte Roberto Mancini Pellegrini <laughs> they deserve a mention exactly no fair play with that feeling that dress room after the game and we'll score in the last minute the electricity is unbelievable the most important thing is those fans are walking out of that stadium, desperate to get back down to the pub to talk about it, desperate to go home to tell their wife and their kids what happened at Old Trafford in the last minute of that game. And that's my job, to get them home happy. And it's the greatest moment, honestly, scoring the last minute. It's probably you can encapsulate my history at United about last minute goals. I love them.
to finish off things then, got myself a Euro 96 quiz for you. Ooh. As Ant said, he's been watching a lot of Euro 96. Well, I've only watched like, England games. <laughs> <laughs> well, lucky I've done it majority on, on England, actually. So what I'll do is I'll, I've got here seven questions, okay? So I'll, we'll go one, sort of one answer each. So from the, so the first question I've got is from the 1996 Euro squad, there were four strikers picked. Okay, so I'll go, I'll pick Ant to name one, then Dan, then Ant, then Dan again. So, Ant, can you name me one of the four strikers that would have been picked? Shearer. That is correct. Dan? Sheringham. That is correct. Ferdinand. Ant, you're right. The last one. Uh, oh, it's a tricky one. Go for Robbie Fowler. Wow, yeah, top marks. Well done, Dan. <laughs> I was gone with Fowler as well. Good shout. Okay, second. Andy Cole. Is it Ian Wright? <laughs> That's who I would have gone with. I would have gone with Ian Wright. Okay, second question. Exactly the same thing, but for keepers. So we're starting with Dan. Seedman. Yeah. Walker. Yeah, well done, Ant. Last one. Flowers? Yeah, well done, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's pretending he hasn't watched it. <laughs> the only match I watched, I've watched one match, it was um, Portugal versus Denmark. Wow. <laughs> Don't know why I watched that, but that was the only match. <laughs> I watched England Holland again yesterday. What a game that was. Yeah. Yeah. Have to watch that. Right then. Next question, and so there was three extra defenders that were picked in the squad that weren't the first team ones. So to help you out, there's two central and there's one fullback. Phil Neville. Yeah. Dan. Steve Howie. Yeah. <laughs> well, you picked that one out of the air somehow. Uh, yeah, that's one then. He owned. No, do you know Dan? Just fine. Um, no, I don't. That's no, Sol Campbell. Uh. I don't know how you got Harry, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> so at the moment, uh, Dan's leading. So next question. So who scored Holland's goal in the 4-1 defeat? Against England. <laughs> it ants watched the match of the day. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to guess. 96. Private? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's on fire. Okay, and Okay, so sorry if anyone's never watched Euro 96. I wanted to know the actual final, but I am going to give 
away the final and the score. So don't listen now. Okay, Am, for you, who scored the winner in the final between oh. Germany and the Czech Republic? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got that far yet. ITV's not got to that bit yet. <laughs> I know, sorry. Um, Moller. No. Mm. Unlucky. I don't yeah. think it was. I think it was Oliver Bierhoff. You think is correct. Nah. He's in the final. Come back to me now. I think it was the, was it the first ever golden goal? Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Right then, Dan, who was top scorer at Euro 96? Mm. Shearer. You've said Shearer. That is correct. <laughs> this is Why is he getting all the easy questions? I know the answers to his ones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Now, now this is the penalty shootout versus Germany. Okay. Now I'm going to start with Ant, and then you name one again. Then down to Ant to to Dan to name the next. So, so. so. So the penalty shootout, who took a penalty in that game? We'll start with Dan. All right. Sharing him. Yep. Well done. Southgate. Well, yeah, obviously. Yeah, well done. (laughs) (laughs) Shearer. Yep. Gascoigne. Yeah. Two more. Pierce. Yeah. Now the final one. Was it Inns? Nope. Do you know by any chance, Ant? Oh. Um, I know I know it. Um, I'm trying to think it was on the pitch at the time. Anderton. <laughs> no, it was David Platt. No, of course. So I ended up there, the scores with Dan, with a win. Three. And you need to improve your quizzing. <laughs> you need to improve your questions. <laughs> I got all of Dan's ones right. <laughs> <laughs> Right, and just to finish off, we've got a few socials. Uh, any, emails, any emails to us to go to VAR at the bar, then the number 2020 at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at VAR at the bar number one, and on Facebook at um, VAR at the bar. Um, and that's that's it then. So who is it next next uh, in the fortnight's time? Would it yeah. be you, Ant? Yeah. And look forward to hearing what uh, subjects we'll be talking about then. Maybe even some Premiership football. You never know. I've got about four top tens in my mind. Oh. I need to decide which two I want to pick. Oh. Okay. I'll look forward to it. So that's us then. That's us done. So see you next time. Okay. Yeah. All right. 
Sports Social Podcast Network.